following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Today is our last Sunday for a while, looking at the Gospel of John. We have been um, going through this for, this is the fourth week now, and uh, as you know, most of you, we've committed to go through the entire Gospel of John between now and whenever we finish it, but we're not going to do the whole thing at once. We've been doing three or four or five weeks at a time, and then we'll move on to something else. So um, this is the last one for this time, and we'll pick up John again probably sometime in the summer, but... Well, I don't know about you, but to me, this particular little section of John has been really rich. Um, it's been a really great time of study and engaging the Word personally for me, and I hope that that's also been true for you. There's just been some wonderful stories and some really significant challenges in the text, especially last week, if you remember, and um, I hope that you've been blessed by them as, as I have been. But you remember, if you've been here all along, and if not, you're about to get a little recap for free. But the, the first week of this section of John, we talked about the, the true faith of the royal official. Do you remember the royal official who came to Jesus and his son was sick uh, to the point of death 20 miles away, and he begged Jesus to come with him and heal his son. And Jesus instead said, go, your son will live. And the man had to act in what I've defined as true faith, in other words, he has to, had to trust Jesus enough to move his feet. You know, true faith is, is not, in my opinion, being able to work your mind into this yoga pose of believing something that you can't believe and just trying to convince yourself that it's true. That's called lying to yourself. And, and you should just be honest with yourself and see if you can get there another way. But true faith is just simply trusting in Jesus. And that's what the royal official did in the... In the first part of uh, our section here. And then in the second week, we talked about how Jesus offered grace and healing to a man who'd been lame for decades. At the exact same moment, he was instructing this man to break the Jewish law, the holy law of Sabbath observance. Not only was he instructing this man to do it, but he himself was doing it in the act of healing the man. And it was in that same moment that he was offering grace and healing to the, this guy. So Really great tension in that story. And then last week, Jesus got pretty theological and started to talk about, it, about um, his being one with the Father. And we talked about all the different ways that that is true. and um, a, a, Like very, very dense kind of passage last week. By the way, if you've missed any of these and would like to go back and hear the full thing, um, you can always get the, the messages on our website or subscribe to our podcast using iTunes or whatever you do. But this week's passage, um, the, the, the fourth one in this little run, is the final bit of a very long statement that Jesus has made. In fact, if you, uh, you may have not have noticed this, but Jesus has been making this statement for the past three weeks in our time. Um, Jesus' time is like Narnia time. <laughs> like three weeks here at Artisan was like one big long paragraph back then. But... But it began in that second week of the series, after he had healed the man on the, on the Sabbath day, and the Jewish authorities, the, the teachers of the Jewish law, began to criticize him and, and, and condemn him for breaking the law of Moses. Uh, and his response to that began in week two, and it continued last week, and it's going to conclude today. Um, so it's a very long statement. Um, so it, what I want to do is, is read this passage... Uh, with you, and if you'd like to turn to your Bibles to John uh, five thirty one, 
Um, you're welcome to use the red Bibles under your chair or in the seat back in front of you. If you do that, you want to go to page 866, by the way. Um, and what happens here is Jesus continues to press his hearers, the ones listening to him, both those who follow him and those who are his detractors, probably, to accept the truth that he's speaking about himself. And, and, and the whole point of today is that I want to say to you that the questions he's putting back on them and the challenges he's giving to them, he's also giving to me and to you today. And you and I and all of us have to deal with these issues just as Jesus was forcing the, the authorities, Jewish authorities and, and his disciples in his day to deal with them. So we'll take a look at the passage and then we'll talk about that idea in a little bit more detail. So it's uh, verses 31 through 47. Um, and by the way, just as a little aside here, if you're using these red Bibles and probably if you're using one of your own, you see that this, the section header starts with verse 30. And as I've told you before, those section headers are not part of the original text. Those are editorial things. And if you look at the flow of what happens in the previous passage, I think it makes a little more sense for 30 to go with 29 than to go with 31. So if you're wondering, why is he starting on 31? That's why. Okay. Um, Hear the word of the Lord. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies on my behalf, and I know that his testimony to me is true. You sent messengers to John, and he testified to the truth. Not that I accept such human testimony, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But I have a testimony greater than John's. The works that the Father has given me to complete, the very works that I am doing, testify on my behalf that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me has himself testified on my behalf. You have never heard his voice or seen his form, and you do not have his word abiding in you, because you do not believe him whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that testify on my behalf. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. If another comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe when you accept glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the one who alone is God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom you have set your hope. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe what he wrote, how will you believe what I say? So what Jesus is doing here, really, and I think has been doing throughout this whole statement, is he's... He's saying to all of his hearers, and again, let's include ourselves in that. Jesus is saying, I am the best way for you to see God. Very simply. He says a lot more words than that, but that's what he's saying. I, speaking of himself, am the best way for you to see God. And all these other things that you put your faith in and your trust in, all the trappings of religion and society and the things that you look to and hope for, none of those things point the way to the Father like I do, Jesus is saying. And I don't want to overstate this, but I think that is maybe the most important truth in the Bible. 
because it is a lens through which you can see all kinds of other things. Those of us who would call themselves Christians, who would trust in Jesus, dedicate their lives to following him, and for that matter, any of anybody who would be considering that kind of life, must remember that this is how Jesus himself defines the world, with himself at the center. And here's the thing. This is, what I say. this is why I say this might be one of the most important things in the Bible. Everything else that we know about God, whether it's from the Bible or from what we see around us in creation and in, in people and relationships, every challenge that we have, every joy that we have, every hope, every fear, every difficult scripture passage, all of it must be seen through the lens of, of Jesus and his work. Jesus specifically mentions a few things that those Jewish authorities and his hearers in the day had mistakenly put their trust in. And again, I want to say that this list probably applies to us too. So here's, here are the things that I pulled out of this that I see him saying to them. That you've misplaced your trust and faith by trusting in this and this and this and this. The first one is the, the prophets of the day. In this case, it was John the Baptist, who for us, many, many, many centuries later, it's easy to, to sort of see in a, like from a very detached place. But in the moment, John the Baptist was, had been celebrated as a prophet. Um, the Pharisees had, in fact, sent people down to him to say, hey, what's going on here? What, you know? And so there was a very strong tendency. In fact, there was some division that eventually happened between disciples of John and disciples of Jesus. And Jesus himself says, John's testimony is great. And you, he said that thing, for a while you rejoiced in, in the light that he brought. And then he says, but I have a testimony greater than John's. The works that the Father has given me to complete, the very works that I'm doing, and I think what he's saying is things like healing a man on the Sabbath day, those things testify on my behalf that the Father sent me. That's verse 36. And you remember that the signs of faith series, this whole thing is sort of pushing us, this whole gospel of John is pushing us toward this, this area of belief based on the signs and miracles that John chooses to present in the gospel. That's why we've called it signs of faith. You remember John 20, 31, where he says, Jesus did many signs in his time on earth, but these are recorded so that you might believe and that in believing in him you might have life. But it was months and months ago that we talked about John 1, but John 1 describes this story of John the Baptist coming through, and if you'd like to look back at that, it's John 1, 19 through about 27. Um, I think I, I won't read it for, for now, just in the interest of time. But that tells the story of how his ministry sort of started to unfold and what the people's response to it was. But, but Jesus is saying, the prophets of your day, John included, are not where you need to place your trust. I have a testimony greater than John's, he says. And so for us, I wonder who the prophets of our day are. Not long ago, we celebrated Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I think, I don't know if it's social media or what, but I think this year more than any other in the past, people really acknowledged and emphasized the, the Christian faith that was at the root of, of Dr. King's passion. Um, and I don't know if that was just Facebook has blown up that much or what, but it seemed like that was more. So was, uh, the point being, a prophet of, of 
Christian justice, right? Maybe, maybe the, one of the best that we've seen <laughs> in the last century. But you can't place your trust in Dr. King, ultimately. You can't place your trust in Dr. Pick your favorite, you know, those of us who are Christian theology nerds, your favorite writer, you know, Dr. N.T. Wright or whoever you might like. Some of you are going, what? How can you have a favorite? That's stupid. <laughs> and you're right. <laughs> Whoever it is. Dr. Oz. <laughs> or what's that other Oprah guy? Um, <laughs> Dr. No, not Dr. Phil. <laughs> not him either. <laughs> no, I'm thinking of Eckhart Tolle. Tolle? Yeah. Right? Like, whatever. Whatever your thing is today, right? Whatever the prophets of our day are, they are a shadow of the truth that is in Christ. This is what Jesus is saying. I have a testimony greater than John's, greater than all these other prophets' testimonies. So that's the first thing. It's the first misplacing of trust. And these are, these are not in uh, chronological orders, but, the, but for me, the next one is this the idea of receiving glory from other human beings. Remember Jesus said this in verse 41? Um, I do not accept glory from human beings. And then down in a few verses later, 44, how can you believe when you accept glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the one who alone is God? I think depending on your personality type and maybe your station in life and some other things, this might apply differently for different ones of you, but for some of us, we need to be concerned with the idea that we actually do seek glory in our worlds, whether that's me here um, or you at your job, um, whatever else is important in your life where people seem to like you <laughs> and celebrate you. We seek the glory that comes from the praise of other human beings. Now, for others of us who maybe are not quite so self-absorbed in that particular way, (laughs) it might be that we just seek approval from everybody. And and where one sin is to to place yourself on a pedestal, the other sin is to be so accommodating to whatever might be going on around you that you you never stand for anything. And I think that's a type of glory-seeking as well. Doesn't necessarily, we wouldn't put that in, in the dictionary to define glory, but I think that's how it goes. And some people are seeking acceptance. And, uh, you know, God knows that, that we have all been through <laughs> periods of time where we didn't have acceptance. Some of us have been through entire lifetimes where we didn't have it and we were raised in households that didn't offer it and so forth. And so we can't help but be thirsty for it. But it is still... Seeking, seeking glory from other human beings. I think this is kind of an umbrella category here. In Jesus' case, of course, he's talking to the Pharisees and, and their, their way of practicing things so that others would admire them. But I think it might apply differently for some of us. So you can't place your faith in the prophets of, of our day and you can't place your faith in the glory that you receive from other people, whether it's approval or acceptance or glory. And I would also say that you can't place your faith in religion um, I heard this article this week by uh, uh, Penn Gillette. You know Penn and Teller, right? So Penn is a famous atheist and, and wrote an op-ed in the New York Times about atheism and religion. And, and um, 
this isn't in my notes, but he said that, that we need to end religion because it's this and this and this and this. And when I read it, I was like, well, I want to end all your bullet points, just like you do. I just don't call that religion. <laughs> um, anyway, I probably should write a blog post about that or something. Um, <laughs> in the Pharisees' case, what he said to them was, do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, in whom you have, on whom you have set your hope. Moses being, of course, the, the great father of the Jewish faith that was practiced all around him, you know, and, and by him too, by Jesus himself. Remember last week when we were trying to decipher this apparent paradox between two statements that Jesus said about how to receive life? Remember how much trouble that was, for, for me at least, and I, I, maybe it was for you too, but is it by believing, like he said in one verse, or is it by doing good, like he said in another verse? And I suggested at the time that perhaps it would help to remember that he was talking to the Pharisees who had just accused him of breaking the law of Moses by healing on the Sabbath. And that perhaps he was saying, look, you law lovers, if, uh, if you want to place your hope in the law, you better be prepared to bear its consequences when you fail. Live by the sword, die by the sword. Right. Figuratively speaking. I think the same goes for us. Now, most of us are not uh, caught up in trying to observe full uh, Jewish law, all 613 Mosaic <laughs> laws. Most of us don't have that particular problem. But, man, is it not the human condition that as soon as, as soon as Christ frees us from one type of legalism, we just take whatever he offers us and turn it into our own new brand of it? Started out with one rule. Don't eat that one tree. <laughs> Couldn't do it. So more rules. We had 10. <laughs> Broke all of them. Then we have these 600, right? right? Then Jesus comes and says, okay, the law is not your, the source of your salvation. And we're like, oh, great, thanks. How do I make a law out of that? <laughs> Just one question, Jesus. Which one's do we really have to keep? So, are you placing your hope in religion? Whether it's legalism, which is what I've just been describing. Well, let's be honest, guys. Most of you don't have a problem with legalism. <laughs> but you might have a problem with social religion, with just coming in here and walking out of here and coming in here and walking out of here. And you think about it approximately 90 minutes a week and, and so forth. Um, you may have been raised with a, a religious faith that was centered on lots of customs and traditions. And uh, as you know, we love traditions and customs here. We observe a lot of them, um, somewhat loosely sometimes, but we observe a lot of them. But that, that is not where we place our trust. Just because we give that stuff pride of place doesn't mean it is the source of our salvation. And the fourth one is a really surprising one. And I think I need to tread a little bit lightly here. I'm, just, I'm not going to even list the category yet. I'm just going to simply read what Jesus said. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that testify on my behalf. That means one thing to his Jewish audience. You search these Old Testament scriptures, these prophecies about the Messiah... And we've already seen in the book of John and elsewhere that 
that Christians believe that all those things point to Jesus. Okay? That's what he's saying to them. I wonder what, if anything, he might be saying to us. Let me read it again. You uh, bunch of Bible people. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it's they that testify on my behalf. Jesus is higher than the Bible. Now, we uh, have a very high view of the Bible here, consistent with our family of churches and and the history that we've um, come up in, and, and I think consistent with, broadly speaking, the whole witness of Christian history. Um, we talk about the Bible with very high regard, and you've heard me describe how you need to submit yourself to the text rather than trying to submit the text to you, that kind of thing. Uh, I don't retract any of that, but I will say this, especially for us um, E-words, uh, the, those of us who are evangelicals, um, and men, do I wish that we could just throw that one away and come up with something new because it has so much baggage, but it's the stream of faith that we're part of. Those of us who are evangelicals and have this very high view of Scripture, sometimes we cross the line into a form of idolatry where we place the Bible ahead of Jesus himself. And it's this twisted up thing because, of course, the best way for us to know Jesus is through the witness of Scripture. But man, it's really important for us to remember which one is the source. <laughs> and that's, it's not the words on the page. The source is the living Christ. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. The word flows out of God. Not the other way around, even though from our perception and understanding, sometimes it goes in that direction. If you look at the way the early Christians in the, that are described in the Bible looked at their holy scriptures see some very interesting things, some very challenging things. It was clear that they saw God at work in their midst in a way that for them trumped their scriptures. And they made some really difficult decisions in that regard. And there were people all around them saying, that's a slippery slope, guys. And it was, because it is. And I'll stop talking now. Well, I'm not going to stop talking. I mean, let's be honest. (laughs) I will leave that point for now. Um, And it's not because I'm I'm stopping short of what I really want to say or anything like that. Please don't hear me being overly flippant. I just think I want us to to consider that pretty strongly. That our source of hope and faith is Christ himself, not our holy book. Yes, we see him through the book. We have to remember which one is the source. Jesus is that way. (laughs) The point today is that there are so many things vying for our attention, so many places that we could place our trust. And I think that sometimes we have have described it as spiritual ADD, where you just, you turn to each new thing that comes along, you know, every new ideal or scheme or concept, 
and then you, you run with it for a while and you abandon it when the next thing comes along. And um, really the, the anchor of our attention ought to be Jesus through all of it. See, because even good and wonderful things can become idols or distractions when we start to place them ahead of Jesus. And if we could just orient ourselves in such a way that we see everything through the lens of Christ and the cross, I think we'd be a lot better off. And so today, I want to call you rather urgently to faith in Jesus. And the faith uh, modeled by the royal official who, in response to Jesus' word, went. He believed the word that Jesus said, and he left. What a difficult thing that must have been for him to do. So I wonder, do you need to respond to Jesus yourself today? Is Jesus at your center? Have you, have you, do you see everything else good, bad, and ugly through him? Or have you gotten yourself kind of out of position and Jesus is, is uh, on the side? Have you sensed God speaking to you? Have you spent, if you will, sensed Jesus giving you that word, go, your son is going to live, whatever the version of that might be for you. And you're standing there frozen. Have you realized maybe today that you've placed your hope in some things that should not be where you place your hope, whether it's religion or legalism um, or kind of an excessive idolatry of the Bible or seeking the glory or approval or acceptance from people around you or the prophets and teachers of your day? You've misplaced your hope. What I'd like to ask you to do, and this is, if you're visiting with us, this is not something that we do every week. Um, but uh, I, hope that, I hope that I'll say this humbly enough. I, I sort of want to do this in response to what I think is the Holy Spirit's leading uh, as I've prepared this sermon and this whole series. Um, I want to ask those of you who have had, throughout the last four weeks or this morning, some kind of experience uh, with Jesus that you want to respond to, that you know you need to respond to, that you haven't yet done it. I want to ask you to, to um, make a response in a way that perhaps is a little challenging uh, to your comfort level. Um, in a minute, I'm going to ask, just if that's you, just to stand up. Because your body really does matter. <laughs> um, the royal official had to use his body to go back to Capernaum and find his son. And... Some of us are very um, intellectually minded or very uh, pensive and reflective. And we would just so much prefer to sit in our seats and journal um, or think. I'm going to ask you a very simple physical reaction, and that's just to, to stand up. And um, I'm going to ask you to do anything else, to come forward or to share out loud what's going on in your heart, uh, any of those things. Those might be appropriate another time. I'm not making any promises. But today, 
just a very simple reaction is all I'm asking of you. And the reason that I'd like to have you do that is because I want you, I want you to engage with it physically, and then I'd like to pray for you. Um, so uh, pr- I promise that this request, because of the type of person I am and, and preacher that I am, requires uh, as, at least as much boldness on my behalf as it's going to require you to stand up. And some of you are like, will you stop apologizing and let us stand up already? <laughs> but if, if that is you over today or these last four weeks, would you stand? And I w- I'd just like to pray for you. Um, some of you are standing next to a friend who is uh, standing or you're sitting next to a friend who's standing and if that is a friend and you'd like to place a supportive hand on their shoulder or something you can do that if they're a stranger to you please don't touch them but um, <laughs> you might you might consider just um, offering your uh, in- the intensity of your personal prayer for the person who's closest to you right now um, let's pray together God, our Father, we are so grateful for the gift of Scripture, for these stories that have blessed and challenged us over the last few weeks and today. And it is my prayer that, uh, Jesus, as you've been speaking into the hearts of these who are standing now, you would also be giving them courage and wisdom and knowledge and boldness in how to react and respond. Holy Spirit, fill each of these ones who are standing today with your love and your grace, empowering them to do the work to which you've called them, to share the love with which God has filled them, and to be the hands and feet of Christ in a hurting world. And it's in his name that we pray and live and through whom we see all of the things around us. Amen. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> um, I would also suggest that, that perhaps those of you who are standing, if you'd like to, to pray together with a member of our prayer team, that while we take communion, the prayer team will be here in the corner. You are most welcome to come and, and just receive a personalized prayer if you want to share a little bit more. Um, or it could be completely anonymous. Uh, you can use the info cards. You can write down your what's on your heart there. Please, though, just as you've engaged your body, you need, to, you need to engage another person with this as well. So either see the prayer team or see me today or write an info card note down and maybe we'll talk this week. And um, don't let that thing just fly away from you right now. Okay? Um, our response to hearing the word of God read and proclaimed each week centers at the table of the Lord. And... Uh, in this ancient sacramental ritual of Christianity, we have the, the bread representing Christ's body broken for us, and the wine and the juice, which is his blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins, yours and mine, and the whole world. If you're following Jesus today, this is an open table, regardless of your church membership or denominational affiliation or any of those things. None of those things matters to this. What matters to this is that you are seeking to follow him and to live into the life that he's called you to. And it doesn't matter if you suck at it or you're really good at it. Um, 
In fact, if it's the former, you probably are understanding it even better than the rest of us are. Um, We'll sing some more together. The table is open now. Uh, Receive this food for your souls. May it be for you his body and blood. Do it as an act of unity with each other and with other Christians around the world. Respond to him in worship as he leads you. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.